Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. It is good to be back with you guys after a long weekend. I'm your host, Viz. I want to welcome all of our viewers from around the world. Thank you for tuning in. If you are joining us for the first time and want more information about our show, please visit our website located at deadtalklive.com. Please go ahead. We simultaneously stream to five different social media networks, which include YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. You can find us on any one of those just by searching for Dead Talk Live. So let me go ahead and welcome some of you guys into the show tonight. We have Zofia joining us on YouTube. Welcome, Zofia. Thank you for joining us. I think you're a new time viewer. We have our moderators, of course, Saz, Singer Chick, and Khaleesi on uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. On the Instagram side, of course, we have Marie moderating. Want to welcome as ZN. Uh, Matrixine, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, is waving at us. Hassan is also with us on Instagram. So, like I said, I hope everyone enjoyed their weekend. Let's all hope for a uh, non-eventful week that's up ahead. <laughs> you can only hope, right? And, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. So, uh, Carl Grimes is also with us on YouTube. Ah, if Carl Grimes was only really with us. But Carl Grimes is long gone. May he rest in peace. Chandler Riggs is doing great, though. Uh, CC Wheezy is joining us on YouTube. So, Lindsay is also with us from Canada. Uh, it's good to have you with us. Lisa is also with us on Facebook as well. So, let's go ahead and get started today. Uh, we have a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff has been happening uh, since our last broadcast on Thursday. Which, by the way, I want to thank you guys so much for all your happy anniversary wishes that you uh, gave to both me and my wife. Friday, this last, this past Friday, was our 21st wedding anniversary. We had a great time. Um, I did post some pictures. Uh, I wanted to thank you guys for all your well wishes. That's awesome. And you guys are the best in the world. Uh, I really, 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 truly mean that. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, the first article that we're going to talk to you, uh, talk about today was actually submitted to our uh, news site. If you guys don't know, I started a print media uh, site called Dead Talk News to further expand the Dead Talk brand, uh, go into the print media, uh, because after reading articles now, every day for you know nine months or however long it's been i've realized that you know i see everyone spouting their opinion and ignoring facts uh when it comes to a lot of these articles so you know you know what the saying goes if you don't like how it's done do it yourself and that's what i'm doing i started dead talk news and uh I'm looking for blog writers, and I just want to say the response that I have gotten so far from me posting the uh, position on LinkedIn has been overwhelming. 
And I want to thank everybody who's applied and wants to be a part of our wonderful family here on Dead Talk Live, Dead Talk News, and everything else that we're, you know, expanding deeper and deeper into. Ha ha. My evil plan is to create a total monopoly on the horror entertainment genre. <laughs> right now, I'm just a little fish, you know? But one can only imagine. I could see, you know, Wish, like five years down the line, I could see the federal government and saying, hey, you've created a monopoly here, you know, on video, broadcasting, and print media. No, no, I'm not creating a monopoly. I just want to expand the Dead Talk uh, brand into, you know, by incorporating my own beliefs. No clickbait. I hate clickbait. The web is full of clickbait. If you click on an article title on Dead Talk News, you can be assured that the title of the article is going to directly relate to the content of the article itself. Uh, same goes for our show right now, Dead Talk Live. So that's all I want to do. That's all I want to do. Just doing my little part, you know, playing my little role and putting a lot of work into this to bring a better entertainment experience. Uh, Philip writes, do you have blog writers yet? I'm always looking for more. So guys, if you want to write for Dead Talk News, I have the website up right there. You'll see on the menu on the right-hand side, there's a link that says submit article. You guys want to write anything about... Uh, in and, in and around the horror entertainment uh, uh, industry, please write about it. Of course, no plagiarism. Make sure it's your own unique take. Submit the article and uh, join our family. You know, I am, you know, the one thing I've realized since I started Dead Talk Live early last year is that you can never, never have enough writers. Uh, and that's the God's honest truth. Writers is like the one thing you can never, never have enough of. And I am honored to have met so many amazing writers just over this last week alone. So let's go ahead and get started on this article. Uh, last week, we talked about how science is getting into uh, analyzing why people enjoy horror so much. And there have been these studies that have popped up, especially over the last week, on all these different research companies doing these, these different studies in relation to horror movies. So this is about a study that was done to find out what really is the scariest movie of all time. Now, that in itself is kind of impossible to figure out scientifically or otherwise because it's a matter of taste and opinion. It's not uh, something science can pinpoint. But they did do a study. They presented... Uh, a variety of horror movies 
to uh, viewers, subjects, whatever you want to call them, while they measured various vital signs to see which movie got the biggest response out of the people watching them. So let's go ahead and read this article. There even there's a little chart, but but this was uh, done by Broadband Choices, a comparison tool for various broadband deals in the United Kingdom. Uh, could have an answer to that question. Uh, a study that it's calling the Science of Scare Project. Uh, for this study, 50 only 50 participants of the test audience consumed over 120 hours of the best horror movies, each fitted with a heart rate monitor to measure which movies got their blood pumping the most to find the ultimate horror movie and crown the king of the Fright Night. For this study, each participant of the test uh, of the test audience was fitted with a heart monitor to see how much on average their heart rates rose above their resting heart rate during a film all data was averaged for each film and one film came out on top as the undeniably undeniably scariest movie of the bunch uh, the result of this study, according to the heart rates of participants, no movie scared people more than Sinister. Yes, Sinister. That is a movie that we just don't talk enough about. It's a great movie, a 2012 horror thriller that stars Ethan Hawke as a true crime writer who investigates a string of grisly family murders. The average resting heart rate of the participants was 65 beats per minute. That's normal, average for most people. But during Sinister, the average heart rate rose to 86 beats per minute, a 32% increase. That was the highest rise in BPM of any movie watched by the study participants. However, the biggest jump scare belonged to Insidious, which owned a moment that sent participants' heart rate all the way up to 133 beats per minute. Now, that's high. If you surpass 140, you're getting close to what doctors call tachycardia. Overall, that movie came in second place to Sinister. Maybe you're a horror movie lover that continually seeks the next big scare. Maybe you're a casual viewer that watches films only around Halloween time. Whichever side of the spectrum you may fall on, you can now add the movie that has been officially deemed the scariest film ever, according to science, to your queue if you have yet to watch it. And guys, if you haven't watched Sinister, especially the first one. Oh my God. Uh, it is a freaky, freaky movie. It's awesome. And, you know, that little quote at the end, that's my quote. This movie was great. The second one was really good as well. So why did the franchise die after only two movies? This is the kind of movie where you can possibly spawn off some spinoffs. 
but nothing. At least not yet. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll see some more in the future. Maybe not. But it really is a grisly, scary, gory, and terrifying uh, franchise. Uh, just the baseline, the story behind it is just absolutely terrifying. And I'm guessing by the lack of responses, there are quite a few people here who have yet to watch Sinister uh, with uh, Ethan Hawke. So if you are one of those people who have not watched Sinister, uh, it is widely available on video on demand on various places. In fact, you know, the beauty of having the internet up here, let's just go ahead and check it out. There's a great site called JustWatch.com. Let me show you how this site works. You basically go here, you put in the title of the movie, all right, there it pops up, you click on it, and it shows you where you can watch now uh, if you're a subscriber, like Fubo is free, I believe. No subscription needed. So if you guys have, uh, you know, a mobile device, which almost everybody does, or you have a Roku box or an Apple TV or a smart TV, you can install the app and you can watch Sinister. It's also available on Showtime, available through Amazon. And, you know, here is the list. I love this website. Uh, it's called JustWatch.com. Very easy to remember. JustWatch.com. Go there, put in the title of any movie, and it will show you exactly where you can go and watch it. Uh, some are free, some are not free. So this gives you the three options right here. The top line is where you could stream it if you're a subscriber already. Uh, don't quote me on this, but I think Fubo right here, the one all the way in the left in orange, is free. So you can download the app on your TV if you have a Roku or whatever, or download the app on your mobile device and watch Sinister. And it also shows you where you can rent or buy the movie and it gives you the prices you know you can rent it from what it seems like four bucks or shoot you can buy it for five additional not even three additional dollars at for 7.99 and you won't regret it it's an awesome movie and i highly recommend it for those who haven't watched it please go ahead and watch it uh, Khaleesi writes, do you know if you can download the apps on Fire Stick? Yes, you should be able to. Uh, Fire Stick, which is owned by Amazon, has all the popular apps. And I'd be surprised if Fubo is not available. You know, since, you know what? I feel like just doing internet research tonight with you guys. Fubo on Fire Stick. I apologize for any porn that may pop up. So here we go. Fubo. There we go. Here's the website. It can be installed on Roku and the Amazon Fire TV. Isn't that awesome, Khaleesi? 
Ask a question and it shall be answered right away. C.C. Wheezy Right Sinister is another found footage horror film and it's great. It is not entirely found footage. I just want to clarify that. A big part of it is found footage. Uh, and, you know, the story revolves the first one where Ethan Hawke and his family move into a new house. Uh, and this house has a history. Uh, sinister crime took place there. He is a crime writer. That's why he bought that house uh, to get inspiration because he's going to write about the crime that took place there. And he discovers, of course, films, tapes, uh, actually 8mm or 35mm film that was left in the attic. So either way, that's where the movie just takes off and that's the basis. I'm not going to spoil it any more than that. So... Uh, hello to Carl Grimes, who's saying hello. Welcome, Raffort85 on Instagram. Welcome to Martin and Chris. Thank you guys for joining us on Instagram. So, the next story on the list, okay, The Walking Dead, how, spoiler, got revenge on the man who put Rick in a coma. In The Walking Dead, Rick Grimes did meet the man who put him in a coma months later, but someone else killed him and got revenge by accident. Now, in the TV show, the guy was shot dead right there on the spot by Shane. So, the guy shoots Rick, Shane kills him immediately. Uh, the following contains spoilers. Yeah, we know everything is a spoiler. In The Walking Dead, Rick Grimes being put in a coma... As tragic, what it was helped pave the way for a free world. It's still being mapped out on the TV series, mind you, but in the comics, this tragedy was the catalyst for him to go seeking his family to try and protect them during the zombie apocalypse. Still, you can't help but feel for him for the pain and suffering he endured due to his separation, all because of an escaped convict who shot him. Uh, now, while many assumed it's just a random event that's never addressed in the book issue, issue number five actually saw someone get revenge on that shooter. Surprisingly, it wasn't Rick himself, but rather it was his sinister bestie, Shane. So, you know, it was the same on the TV show, just the timing is different. On the TV show, we saw the first episode, guy snuck out of the car because dispatch told him there were only two people in the vehicle, when in fact there were three. Uh, they were not expecting that third person who crawled out of the car, took a shot, got Rick Grimes right there in the side, and of course... Shane fired right back and took the shooter out immediately. So, it's, it was Shane, both in the comic books and the show, just the timing's a little bit differently. Uh, it's nice to meet you too, Carl Grimes. Uh, Rick has many tragic and coma in his life. Uh, even his family died. 
Uh, Carl goes on to say his life would be tragical and trauma. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's not the only one in the Walking Dead universe who is suffering from that same fate. So, next on the list, uh, this is the year where a lot of movies, horror movies, uh, turn 40. And you can see from the list right there, the first picture, that's Friday the 13th Part 2. The second picture is an American werewolf in London. The third picture is Evil Dead. And the fourth picture is the Damien movies, the third one which is called The Final Conflict. And Damien is played as an adult by the awesome Sam Neill. So 2021 is already a unique year, and it'll, it'll be the big 40th anniversary for lots of notable horror films from all-time uh, classics to cult hits. 2021 is already a unique year, uh, I hate when they put the same sentence in again. Um, in the U.S., politically motivated civil unrest dominated the landscape. And worldwide, the coronavirus pandemic has killed millions and infected many millions more. The normal way of living a modern first world life was thrown into utter turmoil. And unfortunately, 2021 isn't looking great so far. That's no joke there. We definitely did not get this year started off on the right foot. Anyway, negative indications aside, though, one great thing about movies and art in general is that it can be there to help those who consume it get through even the darkest of times, supplying a, br a break from upsetting real-world events. Using horror movies to cope with real horrors might seem an odd strategy, but it's actually not hard to understand when looked at a bit closer, as movie threats are usually much worse than those in reality. For me, I feel it's reverse. I feel, especially recently, reality is a hell of a lot more scarier than what any horror writer can show us on the screen. For the most part. For the most part. It's a lot scarier, uh, and it's always, reality is always played out in a way that the science fiction writers, whether it be horror or whatever, uh, they play out in reality in a way that they never thought possible. You know, I talked about the coronavirus, and how the writer for the movie Contagion, when he was writing the movie, he was interviewed, and he said that he was when he was writing the script for the movie Contagion, uh, he never would have thought it would have taken three months for the United States to even start dealing with a pandemic that's been raging globally. So for the movie, he had to make it what he thought was realistic. So he made it three days uh, because he thought there was no way it would take three months. And in reality, that's exactly what happened. It took three months 
before the United States even started acknowledging the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, And it goes on to say, for instance, the coronavirus may be terrifying, but at least it's not as deadly as the stands Captain Tripp's super flu. Okay, that's one way to look at it. Uh, Since the pace of new movie releases is still pretty slow due to the pandemic-related delays, there's never been a better time to get reacquainted or meet for the first time a great horror flick from past decades. Here's every major horror movie set to turn 40 in 2021. And if you guys are lucky to be living in an area where you actually have a movie theater that's open, if you check what's playing, uh, you will see it is movies like the original Die Hard, uh, an 80s movie. Uh, They're going back to the classics. Uh, I have seen movie theaters playing all the Godfather movies. And I think it's great if... uh, you're not going to get film studios to release brand new movies to theaters because the response is not going to be, you know, what they want it to be. And they want to wait till things hopefully start to get better. They are going back to these classics, horror or whatnot. And like I said, uh, I find it funny that they were playing Die Hard, the original, the first one with Bruce Willis. Uh, other theaters were playing all three Godfather movies, and the list just goes on and on and on. So, since the pace is slow, again, like we talked about, uh, here are the movies that are turning 40 in 2021. An American Werewolf in London, of course, directed by John Landis, tells the tale of a backpacker attacked and bitten by a werewolf doomed to transform into a beast and kill. Yet it's also a hilarious hilarious horror comedy. It has its light moments, but I would not call it hilarious. Widely regarded as the best werewolf movie of all time, I would not argue with that. It was a hit in 1981 and is a classic now. A sequel followed in 97, which sucked. I am not going to hold back. An American Werewolf in Paris absolutely sucked. Here, they're a little bit nicer in saying it was sadly awful. I'm going to say that it absolutely sucked. uh, Because they went straight to CGI for the werewolf. And it's a perfect example of how Rick Baker, who did the makeup in the original American Werewolf in London, not having CGI at his disposal, made a werewolf a hell of a lot more scarier than that CGI crap that they threw at us in 1997 in an American Werewolf in Paris. It just goes to show you sometimes CGI is not always the best. The next movie on the list is The Beyond, directed by Italian godfather of gore, Lucio Fulci. The Beyond may not be a household name stateside, but it's widely considered one of the best horror films 
to ever come out of the Italian scene. Like several of Fulci's efforts, the Beyond operates more on nightmare logic than anything sensible. But that approach works, and those who watch will be treated to creative and gory deaths, a bizarre and surreal plot, and a haunting ending. Gotta admit, never watched it. Maybe I will. Next on the list is The Burning. A bit of a flop back in 81, The Burning is a cult classic entry into the slasher canon today. There is nothing really special about its scenario of a prank gone wrong leading to a murder spree, but The Burning is a textbook execution of the slasher formula. Nearly to perfection, best of all are the jaw-dropping gore effects by the legendary Tom Savini, who was a guest of ours right here on Dead Talk Live, such as during the infamous Raft Massacre. Holly Hunter and Jason Alexander also play early roles. The Evil Dead, of course. Love The Evil Dead. It might seem weird looking back, but Sam Raimi's feature debut, The Evil Dead, wasn't an immediate smash success. For a long time, Raimi didn't even plan to make a sequel. Thankfully, he did, and Bruce Campbell's demon-slaying hero, Ash Williams, became horror genre legend. Evil Dead, of course, spawned an iconic franchise consisting of of soon-to-be-five films. There is another one coming. And the the one Ash vs. the Evil Dead TV show. Friday the 13th Part 2. That's right. Friday the 13th Part 2. A lot of people get this confused for those who haven't watched a franchise is actually the first Friday the 13th where Jason is the killer. So there have been two movies, two Friday the 13th movies where Jason Voorhees was not the main killer. The first one, it was his beloved mom who was the slasher getting revenge on all the camp counselors who she thought let her son drown. Obviously he didn't. Uh, and, and let's see, Friday the 13th, part 5. Halloween, uh, sorry, Friday the 13th, part 5, Jason was not the killer. They really wanted Friday the 13th, part 4, which it is called the final chapter, to be the last Friday the 13th with Jason as the slasher. That's how they came up with Friday the 13th Part 5, but it did not do so well. So they went back to the formula that worked, and they brought Jason back from the dead again. And since then, he's been to New York City and space. (laughs) After a brief, seemingly hallucinatory debut at the end of the first movie, Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th Part 2 saw iconic slasher Jason Voorhees fully appear in all his glory. 
well outside of wearing a burlap sack instead of a hockey mask. It's not even remotely explained why Jason not only did not drown, but lived to adulthood without Pamela Voorhees, his mother, knowing. But fans have never really cared as Jason slices and dices camp counselors good and continue to do so in 10 more Friday the 13th movies and a couple of video games. I hope they're not including part 5 in that. Halloween 2, a great sequel uh, in 1981 to the original Halloween. Uh, speaking of iconic slashers, Halloween 2 also turns 40. It came out in 81, and whilst the newest movies uh, pretend it never happened, fans will never forget to give the sequel its due. And what they mean by that, if you guys watched Halloween 2018, uh, the premise of Halloween 2018 is uh, to replace this movie right here. The original sequel to Halloween called Halloween 2. Uh, they want you to forget everything that happened after the original Halloween and pick up the story with Halloween 2018. And looking back through the decades, the amount of twists and turns the Halloween franchise has taken. Uh, in, for example, Laurie Strode in Halloween 4 died. She had a daughter whose name was Jamie, played by Daniel Harris, Danielle Harris. Uh, you know, then H2O, Jamie Lee Curtis is not dead. She faked her death, but she never had a daughter called Daniel, uh, called Jamie. That's what I mean by how the franchise has taken many twists and turns throughout its long, long history. But Halloween 2 does turn 40 years old in 2021. The Howling, directed by Joe Dante, The Howling is the other classic werewolf movie to release in 1981, and there's definitely been a sad shortage of those to come out of Hollywood since. While not quite as beloved as an American werewolf in London, The Howling is a terrific film in its own right and features its own great transformation scene, Sadly, each and every one of the sequels is some shade of awful. So, I can't believe, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize till just now that both An American Werewolf in London and The Howling both came out in, at the same year. Uh, the 80s, especially the early 80s, werewolf movies were big. They were like... The next biggest thing next to slasher movies. Let's see what else is on this list. My Bloody Valentine, the original. Uh, younger horror fans are probably more familiar uh, with the actually pretty good 2009 remake. And it's worth noting that the 2009 remake of My Bloody Valentine starred 
our uh, special guest, Jamie King. She was, uh, you know, one of the leads in the movie My Bloody Valentine, the remake one in 2009. The original came out in 81. Um, it deserves to be appreciated too. Uh, not a big success upon release. It became well known that the Motion Picture Association caused My Bloody Valentine to be butchered in order to get an R rating. The MPAA was a lot more stricter back then than they are today. The original kills were eventually restored on DVD and Blu-ray to the fans' delight. The Omen Part 3, The Final Conflict. A critical and commercial failure 40 years ago. I really liked it. The Omen Part 3, The Final Conflict, brings the original trilogy of films centered on Damien, who plays the Antichrist, to an end. It's not as good as the original by any means. It's not, but boasts a devilish mean streak and a captivating performance by a young Sam Neill in the leading role. And I have to admit, what made the final conflict, you know, part of the reasons of what made the final conflict such a great movie was the performance of uh, Sam Neill. Ah, Khaleesi writes Silver Bullet. That's another werewolf movie. Car, uh, a Stephen King movie where the werewolf actually turns out to be a priest. Read the book, Khaleesi. Watched the movie. Loved them both. Uh, Gary Busey also stars in it. Also, also one of the two Corys is in it. I forget which one. Corey Haim. Corey Haim is in it. Gary Busey. And uh, that's a good one too. That's a good one. Uh, now fully matured into its uh, destined battle with the divine, Damien seems to know he'll end up losing, but still fights like hell, pun intended. Let's see. Scan there are a lot of good movies that came out in 81. Uh, Scanner is directed by David Cronenberg. Scanners may be the only movie from 1981 on this list that isn't underrated and might actually be overrated. While the main plot is most compelling and the concept of killer psychosis, sorry, killer psychics is cool, there's lots and lots of boring scenes in between the cool stuff. Still, when Scanners gets going, it, it sorry, it wows especially the infamous head explosion scene that sin that since become a meme. <laughs> Almost forgot about that scene. Uh, so before we get to anything else, uh, let me put this away for a second. We got a video submission, uh, actually Thursday night, that I want to show you guys. It's been live on our social media for well over four days now. It's been a huge success. It has gotten close to 17,000 views on Instagram alone. I'm going to play it for you guys right now. It's from uh, our creative director, Andrew. 
It's a Rick Grimes tribute to The Walking Dead. So without further delay, guys, if you haven't seen it yet, here it is. If you have, it's worth watching again. Here it is. That's, that's all we want. A choice. A chance. Because it's all about survival now. At any cost. Let us keep trying as long as we can. People out there are always looking for an angle. Looking to play on your weakness. I'm grateful. The day will come when you won't be. They measure you. We survived this by pulling together, not apart. We are alive. That's dead. The world we know is gone. But keeping our humanity? That's a choice. You failed as a leader. Most of all, Rick, you failed as a father. A father's job is to protect his son. It's not gonna be enough, Dad. Enough what? Hope. The future belongs to all of us now. Why do they get this future? after what he did to you. Everything we've endured, everything we've risen above, everything we've become, we start tomorrow, right now. No matter what comes next, we've won. We've already won. The new world begins. Do you have any idea who you're talking to? They beat you. <laughs> you. You mean me? Awesome video. Awesome video. And I want to thank Andrew so much uh, for making it, submitting it. Uh, it's been a huge success on our social media. Glad you guys enjoyed it so much. It's a great video. And I got to admit, man, I really do miss Rick. I'm, I'm with you guys. I miss Rick Grimes, too. Patiently waiting to see him again in the movies. They will come out eventually. They will start filming them eventually. So we all just got to be patient. We are going to see Rick Grimes again. Cece Weezy writes, great video. Khaleesi says, freaking awesome. Uh, Carl's totally liked that. So in the time that we have left today, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, what I call hyping the scare. 
some other people call it building the scare, building up to the scare. It's the big wind-up, okay? I love that line. We had Michael Satrazimus, director of, longtime director of The Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, now executive producer of Fear the Walking Dead, as a guest on our show. And he loves to call uh, those kind of moments the big wind-up. And in horror movies, there's always a wind-up, okay? Uh, There's always a wind-up to a jump scare. There's always a wind-up to a bloody, gory scene. And it all depends on the writers, uh, how that wind-up is portrayed to us as the viewers. So I found some clips on YouTube that I want to share with you guys that go into what makes you know scary movies scary and about the big wind-ups and so on so let's go ahead and watch uh the first one let me go ahead and bring it up for you guys one second and here we go let's watch Welcome to Now You See It. An effective moment in a scary movie requires extremely precise editing and camera direction to actually be scary. I found a cool case study to outline this idea in a movie currently out in theaters called Lights Out. The movie's based off of a short film with the same name, general concept, and director. What's interesting is that the movie and the short film have a moment that's basically the same, but I think one is much scarier than the other. But what do you think? Let's look at both scary moments and see which one is done better. Let's start with the movie. movie. This is a great movie. Lights out. I'd be so out of there. Now the short film. Never seen the short film. Is that more than one? So which one's scarier? My guess is you picked the short film, but why? Let's take a look at how the short film perfectly uses many horror techniques, while the movie, despite being so similar, doesn't. I think the most important difference is the length of the clip. The movie clip is actually from the trailer because the movie's still in theaters. The trailer cut makes the movie clip about four seconds shorter. In those four seconds, the short film has an extra flicker of the lights. With each added second is a lot more suspense added to the scary moment. So when the pattern suddenly changes and the ghost moves, it's that much more startling. Let's say you want to scare the audience with a clown attack. How do you do it? Do you let the clown sit motionless for 30 long seconds while we have no choice but to uncomfortably stare at it? So anticipation is definitely a build-up and a wind-up to the scare. And then all of a sudden it's gone. Or do you show the clown for a few seconds at a time and throw in a couple random jump scares with no build-up or continuity? CC did get me. I did jump.
It's making the choice between one really big scare or a bunch of little okay scares. Which moment builds up the payoff better? Another difference in the two moments is that the short film has a very powerful shot right here. It's from the creature's point of view as it looks towards the woman, like a predator stalking its prey. This shot makes the woman look small and powerless. This is a shot we're all familiar with in horror movies. It adds suspense by showing a character being watched by the monster. The problem with the movie clip is it just switches from her reaction to a shot of the monster, and it's not as menacing as the point of view shot. Finally, where are they in the movie? A warehouse? It's never fully addressed in the movie, and it makes the moment less scary because we're unfamiliar with the location. A big component of many horror films is that these monsters or serial killers or supernatural beings invade places where we thought we were safe. That's what makes it scary. We traced a call. It's coming from inside the house. Our squad car's going over there right now. Just get out of that house. Home invasion is a real-life fear, and when we're in our pajamas heading to bed, that's when we're at our most vulnerable. The short film really capitalizes on this idea, and it's genuinely scary. In the movie, we see an unfamiliar monster in a place we're already unfamiliar with, so it's not as scary. Those are the three main differences, I think, but you could go even deeper. For one thing, in the short film, the lady is always bright in the shot, so it seems more menacing when we can see her clearly while also seeing the ghost. In the movie, when the ghost is visible, the lady can't really be seen, so she seems more removed from the monster and the threat. I also think the ambient hum in the background makes the short film scarier. Also, the fact that in the short film, the lady has to walk through the hallway where the ghost already is. That seems scarier than having the lady already at the light switch. But We're what gonna be announcing a lot more guests here Am I overthinking something? Leave your comments below. Getting a laugh requires a funny performance or a well-timed cut. Getting people to cry maybe takes strong characters and a gorgeous film score. Getting an amazing shot requires compelling cinematography. But to get a scare? You need everything at once. The music, the timing, the script, the actors, everything has to work together or else it's not scary. So before you go to sleep tonight, ask yourself, what scares me the most? You see how much little stuff that we as viewers don't even think about? It's all subconscious, but that's what separates bad horror from good horror. Is key to, de you know, attention to detail. Here it is, a clue slightly transformed. You know, I would have never. I would have never. The way he described the same movie, one was a short film, one was a regular film, and how just location, an extra four seconds, a hum in the background can make all the difference in the world from taking a scene that is scary and hyping it up to terrifying. Uh, I had never watched a short film. Uh, I've seen the movie. It's a great movie. This clip is old. The movie's been out several years, and it is available on demand for you guys that want to watch it. It's called Lights Out. It's a great movie. It's a scary movie. But he's right. That clip from the short film is a lot more... It's a hell of a lot more menacing and terrifying than the clip that we saw in the movie. And like I said, it all goes back to the details that we as viewers take for granted. So I got another clip here on the writing and what goes into making good, what makes for good horror writing. Let's check this out. And let me just hit play. What's scarier? A breaking news report of hundreds of zombies running wild in a distant town? Or 
there's a zombie inside your child's bedroom. It's a different feeling, isn't it? Why is one more horrific than the other? While I was searching for the roots of cinematic horror, I looked up The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. It's a German expressionist film made in the 1920s. It is wildly considered to be the first true horror movie ever made. The visuals wow. are quite striking, and the nightmarish art direction succeeds in evoking feelings of unease by presenting a distorted reality. I wanted to compare for my own personal curiosity the similarities between modern horror movies and something made close to a century ago. Is there something that carries over, something universal, thematically or aesthetically? As I was reading the reviews, I found an interesting quote that summed up exactly what I was looking for. All a horror film need promise is horror, the unspeakable, the terrifying, the merciless, the lurching monstrous figure of destruction. It needs no stars, only basic production values, just the ability to promise horror. So I guess that, my next question is, what is this promise Ebert. of horror? As a byproduct of the late 80s, whenever I would think of horror, my mind would immediately go to Jason, Chucky, and Freddy, or even the old Universal Monsters. I lost several nights of sleep imagining those movie villains no, waiting Daniel, for me in a dark endless corridor, or peeking through a sightly really open closet happen. door, ready to never, rip me to shreds never, never. and swallow me whole. When I grew older, the evil monsters lost their appeal, but in its stead, torture porn became more popular. The focus was now placed on the natural visceral repulsion of the destruction of the human body. But in my adulthood, I realized this isn't horror. Horror is not a monster, or the extravagant gore it can cause. If that were true, then any movie brandishing a mindless slasher tearing out people's innards would be considered an achievement. That's but we know Jason this is not the case. You see, the most effective horror movies are the ones that manage to make horror into a personal experience. Just this like the scenario I gave earlier, having hundreds of zombies ravaging a distant city is indeed worrisome, but having one already in your house at arm's length of your children is immediately terrifying. In this video, we're gonna take a look at three movies that have successfully told an effective horror story by respecting the balance of three key elements, the characters, the adversary, and the audience. They managed to blur the lines between metaphor and reality by removing the focus from the monster and placing it squarely on something we can all relate to, something we can all recognize. Family. Home is where we should feel safe. Our parents and our family are supposed to give us unconditional love. What these movies do is grab these universal themes and turn them on their heads by slowly deteriorating them and taking away their safety. But first, it grounds the storytelling in family drama. The core of the three movies is wrapped around families dealing with grief. The Babadook is about a mother that secretly can't stand her own son because he reminds her of the death of her husband. In The Witch, we see a family of Puritans struggling with the abduction and death of their youngest child. In Hereditary, two characters pass away early in the movie and we see the family dealing with the aftermath, as it slowly turns them against each other. We get to know the characters, the geography of their home, where they sleep, their routine, their jobs, and we start caring and attaching ourselves to them, even their pets. Now why is this important? Because we need to establish a bond before things start going wrong. Horror films are much more upsetting and frightening if you're invested in the characters. It was always just very important to me that these were people that you cared about, so that when things happen to them, it's not just spectacle, but it feels like a betrayal. 
the emotional connection starts being used against you. As dysfunction sets in, we begin to feel unease. We become resistant to the family's erosion. Tensions rise and the scenes become increasingly uncomfortable and upsetting to witness or be a part of. If you don't feel anything for the characters, then the movie is doing something wrong. Since the focus is on the families, the adversary is lying in wait. That's, I mean, that's just spot on. That is just spot on. And, you know, to bring it back to something that we're all familiar with, that's exactly what The Walking Dead has done many times. And uh, it, what it did in season seven, the episode one, the premiere, when we lost Abraham and Glenn, take two characters where the fans were deeply invested in. And that's that's an understatement. And have them ripped away from us in the most gut-wrenching manner you can think of. Uh, the, the argument there is that it went a little too far. Anyway, guys, uh, we are out of time. It's been awesome as always. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Uh, we're going to have a regular full week. We'll be on through Saturday. Uh, going back to our normal schedule, please check us out on the web at deadtalklive.com. I encourage you guys to check out our brand new uh, new site, deadtalknews.com. Uh, it's really great. Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, it's all edited by myself. We have a team of great writers, and I'd love for you guys to go ahead and check it out. So, Thank you so much. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, Twitter. Just look for us with the name Dead Talk Live. I'll be back on the air again tomorrow night, same time, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Stay safe. And until tomorrow, guys, stay walking.